three, two, and we're back. Hello, everyone. It's Easton here with the Peanut Gallery Podcast. Got a great episode today. I brought on a special guest, Mr. Kyle Schmack, to talk about the ongoing negotiations in the MLB. And we offer some early predictions, some sleeper picks, all that good stuff. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the episode. As always, it's going to be available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So tune into it there. Give us a follow on Twitter and enjoy. We are live and back with the Kyle Schmack. How's it going? Yeah, go ahead and give a a brief introduction of yourself, and then I'll kind of get into what it is we're talking about today. Well, I am... Get to know you questions as well, actually. All right, I am uh, Kyle Schmack. I am a sophomore at Valpo next year, and I play baseball with Easton. That is all correct. I can verify. Uh, All right, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. I like that choice actually. That's that's bold bold take there. Um, cake or ice cream? Cake. In and out or Whataburger? I've actually never had Whataburger, so I have to go in and out. That's the right answer, anyways. Um, Jordan or LeBron? Man, I was a LeBron guy. Okay. But. I think after the documentary, I have to be Jordan. Yeah, this the the take I have on it now is, I feel like it's pretty universally agreed that like, for sure Jordan did the most for basketball, and I think is the reason that you would call him the goat. But when you talk in terms of like overall skill set, who's the better player? I think it's almost too complicated to even have that debate because the it's just so obvious how different the eras were like you know both players would have changed their games drastically had they been in each other's era so that was my take on it but yeah thank you for that kyle uh so today i'm bringing kyle on and we're gonna talk a little mlb news i don't if you've been following this stuff, uh, it's changing literally almost every day. I was just reading a CBS article today, and pretty much for the last seven days, there's been new proposals coming out, and they started negotiating, I want to say, almost up to a month ago. It was around May May 12th, I think, loosely, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so basically, the whole debacle is you know, with coronavirus, how can we make this season happen? And from the player's perspective, it seems that most of the concerns are how do we get, you know, the appropriate salary for the amount of games we're going to be or going to be playing. And since we're going to be playing with, you know, the inherent safety risk and for the MLB, it's how do we make this happen without, you know, taking a huge financial hit And there's even been some owners coming out and saying that they're not even opposed to not having a season because they don't want to, uh, I guess, take the the loss of money there if that's what they're so projecting. Um, So, Kyle, I'll let you go ahead and just kind of lay out some of the plans that you've seen put forward by the MLB, the MLB players, and, and which ones you see as sort of the most realistic, I guess. Well, uh, 
the one that I've been seeing a lot lately is the 50 to 60 game one. It is like basically a short season where they play a third of the games and like what they really want is to pay the guys by game. So like what they would make per game with a full season is what they want to do is they want to pay them like by game. And so they only make like a third of what they would make in a normal season, okay. which is obviously, and then the ML, the, uh, players association wanted 114 games because they wanted like more than half because if they were going to pay them by game they would still want more than half of what they had now uh, and then the 82 game is the obviously getting half of the money and it's it's looking like the 50 to 61 is probably the most realistic because we keep talking about it and we keep pushing the date back and we keep pushing the start date back but like these guys yeah. still haven't they haven't been doing anything like how can they just go out there and expect to start playing right now exactly and, and i actually would tend to agree with you because like as we're talking about this right now obviously the you know the players association put up 114 games the mlb countered with 82 games they still haven't settled so the longer these negotiations go on the shorter the season's going to have to get because you know we're already we're already at a point where the season would have started you know a a good amount of time ago so you're essentially losing games each day you continue to negotiate and it doesn't sound like they're necessarily on the same page yet i think they're getting a lot closer from what i'm reading but you know we're still not there yet and you bring up a good point of like hey, these guys aren't just going to be able to, like, pick it up and hit the ground running right away. Like, there's got to be some form of a, you know, I don't know if they're, have you read anything on, like, a potential shortened spring training or, like, a a period before a season begins where they get some time to to get to where they need to be? So I saw in the 50-60 to game one, it is basically giving the players as much time as they need to be, like, game ready by the first time they get there like they kind of do like inner squads and stuff like that they have guys they give guys like a month to like month and a half anywhere because then they only have to play a month and a half worth of games before they get to the playoffs so would that be so basically what you're saying is it wouldn't be like a spring training type of thing it would almost be like a month of of team practices essentially before they would uh get to the season yeah Yeah, i mean they would bring in most of their like i saw triple a and some of the double a guys to kind of like help the pitchers like actually face guys and like some of the triple a and double a pitchers to throw to the potential starters out there so that they would like like see some live pitching see some stuff and like actually you know start to get ready huh that's interesting. So where do you stand on like this? Uh, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but, you know, you have some of the owners coming out saying that like they're almost it almost sounds like they're in favor of not even having the season um, because financially it doesn't make sense for them. Uh, to me personally, just looking at that, like I, I understand their concerns in that respect, but I feel like you would almost take more of a financial hit in the long run by not having the season because you lose so much interest from the fan base. Like 
I don't know. I just feel like going a full year without holding an MLB season, like you have the potential to lose a lot of a lot of the fan base. Honestly, a lot of people's you know interest in wanting to turn on the television and actually watch baseball rather than just follow it. Yeah, but the biggest problem is because more than likely with them starting within a month, they're probably not going to have fans. And the fans is the reason that they kind of make money and them making money and coming in. And so if they don't have if they don't have the season, like they almost like not break even, but they lose so much less than they would if they started paying everyone because you're not paying because whatever Trout's making in a full season, he'd make about like what, 35 million. Right. So that's he's still making roughly. What is that like 12 like I mean, yeah, you said like a third of it, right? Yeah. So yeah, right around twelve million. Yeah, but instead you're not paying these guys, and you maybe are paying them a little bit. Like you see, the double A guys are still getting paid a little bit for a couple months, but like, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously hard on the owners because yeah, they just they, they've never been through this before and they don't know what to do, and I mean they're cutting double A teams and like lower teams like crazy now just because they just can't afford them yeah and and that is kind of the sad reality of it i'm just thinking more of like like i definitely get that concern and obviously you know they're not they're not gonna make that money but i would be concerned as an owner i guess to like if i'm like if you put me in a room with other owners and i have to vote whether or not we're gonna have this season happen and to what extent like if there's no season at all, you know, now we're talking about two years where no one on planet Earth is watching Major League Baseball. So, like, how much of a loss in, you know, overall excitement towards the sport does that cause? But, not, you, I mean, you bring up good points with, like, obviously you see some of these guys making absurd amount of money now. And even just paying them a third of their yearly salary, like we brought up with Mike Trout that's still a good, a good chunk of change. And, you know, you talk about having to do that with a couple guys for each roster. It adds up quickly, especially when you, like you said, you don't have that revenue from the fans. So they they are, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place there, but yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, I wanted to get to the actual season, assuming it does happen. Uh, do you have any, I guess, any early thoughts on some teams that might stick out as the, per se, front runners? Like, three or four teams that that are clearly coming into this season with an advantage. I mean, you look at the Yankees and, you know, yep. getting Garrett Cole in the offseason. That's obviously, yeah. with, their, with their stack lineup and everyone that they have, that's definitely going to be a big start for them. Um, yeah. The Twins adding Donaldson is definitely it's definitely a step up for them. So Sad. Sadly, yes, I'll have to yeah. agree with that. Yes. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge White oh, Sox yeah, fan. Oh, yeah, you're a White Sox fan, so you're in the same position as me as an Indians fan. I think, actually, the 50-60 to 60 games will hurt them a lot. Hurt the Indians you're talking no, the White Sox. I think the oh, the White Sox because of them having um, you know young guys and guys who are trying to get ready for 
like the years coming and stuff. So I think that that'll actually hurt them in the long run a little bit. Yeah, I could. And I mean, a lot of times you too, you see some of these younger teams that have a lot of talent. Um, you know, they really start to make their run towards the end of the season because it takes them a while to kind of figure out, you know, how to play together and what lineup is going to work the best. And, um, you're right. Like it, it could be a situation where it doesn't even, it's not even this year that this is affecting, like, you know, say they have a bad 60 game season, like you're talking about, well, then you've got some of these younger players frustrated, um, you know, some of the guys that's, that have maybe been there for two to three years and they've kind of stuck it out and now they're beyond frustrated and they want out of Chicago or really, you know, any team we want to talk about that's in that position of, of trying to rebuild a, with a young core. Um, yeah. Definitely could hurt. I think experience is going to be a big thing if it's a 50 to 60 game season. Mm-hmm. Like just jumping into it, I think there's going to be more... Like you see the more experienced teams in the Yankees and uh, the Twins, just with older guys, I think that they'll start to shine more early and then they'll just obviously that'll strive them towards winning their divisions just in earlier ways. Right. Well, and we kind of talked about this before uh, before the podcast, but that you're going to see some guys that could potentially have like some absurd end of season statistics since the, the sample size is so small. So like guys hitting 400 or guys having ERAs under 150. And I think to your point that that sort of does lean more towards the benefit of the more experienced guys, because, um, you know, they, they have been through those slumps before and they know kind of what to do, both mentally and physically to get out of it where so if you have a younger guy who's going on that cold streak and he's a rookie or even a second year guy like he hasn't really experienced that before so it could you know it has the potential to carry out longer because just by nature it's going to take him longer to figure out how to how to bust out of the slump so yeah and then there's you know there's a guy who could go on a 50 game hitting streak to start out the gate and he hits four like four to 500 and you're like wow this guy's gonna win the mvp but in reality like the next 30 games like throughout the playoffs he can knock it a hit and you're like oh this guy this guy's a joke and well yeah and i mean yeah we have and it's not like that's nothing that hasn't been done before right like there's guys that have went you know up to 50 60 games or so kind of flirting around that 400 mark and and then you know as the season goes on obviously pitchers are going to start to figure out those hitters and beyond that they're going to start to figure out lineups so it's like if you've got some guy that's just in the three spot you know two three or four spot bopping the ball around and you know say the end of the lineup's kind of struggling well now they're not even going to pitch to that guy so yeah so his numbers would end up dropping a little bit. And, you know, you've seen that plenty of times. I remember just, I think it was actually, I want to say it was the year Bryce Harper won the National League MVP. It, it was either that year or one of the other years where he had a really good year. For a while, he was hitting like absurd numbers, like 455, yeah. you know, tons of home runs, tons of RBIs through X amount of games, but then he really cooled off for a while because pitchers started figuring him out. 
And, you know, he still ended up having a good season, hitting over 320 and, you know, 100-some-odd RBIs. But it's he definitely didn't continue the pace that he was at. So, yeah, I agree. You could, you definitely could see some absurd numbers. And then those guys just completely cool off in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe they win the MVP. And it's that wasn't something that should have happened. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's just gonna it's gonna be very interesting. That's that's all I gotta say for that. Yeah. So here I have pulled up. This is uh, this was just the first one I found. So this is Bleacher Reports power rankings um, going into this season. You've got the Yankees at one, Dodgers at two, Nationals at three, Astros at four, Braves at five, Rays at six, Twins at seven. Cardinals at eight. We'll just stop there for now. Uh, any of those that you right off the bat kind of definitely agree with or definitely disagree with? Well, the one that concerns me, obviously, and it's it's hard to not be concerned about them, but like you look at the Astros and they won 107 games last year, and you're like, okay, but like this whole Mike Fires coming out about them cheating and them hitting all the home runs and like because they know what pitch is coming, like can you put them that high in the power rankings? Like, obviously they have Verlander and Altuve and Bregman and Springer, but like maybe yeah. their numbers are a little gassed up because they obviously know what pitch is coming and that makes the game a lot easier. So seriously. Yeah. And I mean, they come in at the four spot, like I said, um, behind that. I mean, I think the Yankees in the one spot to start the season there, no one's really going to disagree yeah. with that. Like you brought up earlier, they were arguably already the best team last year in terms of overall talent and, you know, just maybe didn't perform up to up to what they should have in the playoffs, um, along with, you know, the Astros scandal. And then you add a Garrett Cole, which was an area that they needed some serious help at, was their starting yeah. pitching. And so... To me, I mean, them being number one is kind of a no-brainer. But then you have the Dodgers and Nationals, who they put ahead of the Astros. Do you think that had none of this come out about this whole scandal, do you think the Astros would be in one of those top you know, three spots? Or do you think it would be the same? Uh, I, I mean, they won the most games last year. Like, them losing Garrett Cole still losing a lot but i feel like they definitely would have been they probably honestly may have even been the one eh, now probably the two i would probably could see them at the two just yeah. with how talented their lineup is and everything like you look at the names and you know you just got a bunch of like good name guys you can hit and you still got some good pitchers in the back end of that starting rotation who can just yeah. get some good wins for them and that's and they have obviously done that well, but yeah, this this scandal did not help them at all. No, and I and I to speak to the loss of Garrett Cole, like they've kind of been known the last couple of years for being a team that can bring in pitchers, and you know, to credit their their pitching coach or whoever's doing all this crazy stuff around there, like they are pitchers are performing significantly better in Houston than than expected. 
And so, like, to say that they couldn't just bring in some other guy or take one of their younger guys and develop him into a really good pitcher isn't too far off in the distance. So I agree. I definitely think they would they would probably be the two seed because – or, sorry, second in the power rankings because the Yankees, it's hard to argue against that amount of talent. But the Astros are – Yeah, the Astros are – right on their tail as far as I'm concerned. And I think without the scandal, when you put them head-to-head with a Dodgers team and a Nationals team, I think you you would still take the, the last year's Astros, even without a Garrett Cole, um, over those teams as, as an early season sort of predictor, which is what this kind of is. I, um, yeah, go ahead. I, tr- I mean... I don't think the Dodgers should be number two, honestly, because you look at them and, you, you know, Kershaw's getting old. He's not having the numbers that he's having that he usually had. Uh, their best pitcher now is probably Walker Bueller. Obviously, he's very good and he throws hard because uh, they lost Hinjin Ryu. Right. So, Who obviously. Is argu- arguably was getting to the point of being an ace. Yeah, they they do have some young they have some young guys who can obviously the Dodgers always have good pitchers in the right. system, but I mean they're obviously their lineup is insane. They also had you know them adding Mookie is that's that's pretty good for the yeah. outfield spot that they needed because then you can you know with Bellinger and him and Max Muncie. They did lose Grandall to the Sox, so that's that's tough for them. <laughs> what do you think about the Nationals at the three spot? That's I I am having I guess personally I see that as a little more of a a problem than the Dodgers at the two spot. Like I can I understand your logic. I still think you put the Dodgers, you know pretty much top three or four in just about any power rankings, but I can understand how maybe not putting them two. But the Nationals, I feel like the Nationals are, you know, obviously coming off the World Series, but are they they really the preseason third best team in the whole MLB? I mean, they arguably have the best one-two pitching staff. Right. Which which does which does probably benefit them a little bit in this uh, scenario of a shortened season. So Um, I give you that. uh, Juan Soto's definitely still on the up. The guy's crazy. Yeah, Um, they lost Randall though. They did. Zimmerman's on the way out. Um, I mean Trey Turner's still good. He can kind of play center and short for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it, it, all good points. I, I just don't, like, I don't know if I, look if looking at the whole MLB as an entirety, I would put them as the third best team. Like, regardless of the Astros scandal, which, you know, obviously their reputation, I believe, needs to take a hit, but how much do you, you know, fault them in terms of predicting how well they do. I think you still put them above the the Nationals. And I think one team that's kind of getting sort of swept under the rug here, even though they come in at the sixth spot, is the Rays. I think the yeah. Rays have the chance to be 
a, a serious contender in not only this year, but the, the next couple of years, really. The only problem is that they're in the Yankees division and they play them whatever true. Seven, 17 that times is true. A, game, a season. And yeah, obviously with Charlie Morton and Blake Snell, that's, that's also a pretty good one-two right out of the gate for them. Then, you know, you look at, I mean, they have Kiermaier in center, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to remember off the top of my head how they did against the Yankees last year because they they definitely have sort of the recipe you would want to beat a Yankees team, right? Which is really really good pitching because yeah. you've got to you've got to quiet the offense down, like you know take a say a seven game series in the playoffs you're probably losing one maybe even two of those games to a Garrett Cole but what can you do with those other games yeah, well you, you know you're going to beat them with really good pitching and so I think they of the teams would have I guess uh, the the best chance of not only during the postseason but during the regular season too stealing some games from the Yankees yeah. Yeah, I mean, because their division, their division's pretty, you know, you look at Boston, they lost Mookie, and Chris Sale just had Tommy John, so that doesn't help them. Toronto got Hinjin Ryu, and they have Bo Bichette, but besides that, it's really not the craziest of teams, and they're not the best. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you have Baltimore ringing it up and at the end, and they just literally just lost their best player because he has cancer. Right. So, yeah, I'm looking at this. Uh, oh, where did it go? So I'm looking at the Rays versus the Yankees um, head-to-head matchups from last year, and the Yankees. Oh man, this is of the last three seasons. That's not that's not going to be as accurate. But even, I mean, you look at this from the last three seasons, they've met 38 times, and the Yankees hold a 22-16 to 16 advantage in, in games one over them. So, I mean, it's not drastic, right? And, again, I wish this would just show me last year's head-to-head um, results because I feel like that the, last year was obviously the year the Rays really kind of yeah. – sprouted up and had a good year so yeah yeah, that'd be no go ahead because in the years before like the beginning of the like you say the beginning of that three years tampa was pretty bad like they were they were like went from pretty bad to pretty good so even if they're 22 and 16 then like and the yankees have been good for the last 15 years like exactly yeah so i mean yeah that's pretty that's pretty good sign that they play them well Obviously, and their team just keeps getting better and better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, and they're think, they're another one of those teams that kind of has a pretty solid young core that is gonna gonna put them in contention for the next couple years to come as well, not just this year. I think my like you could say sleeper team in the mm-hmm. top eight is the Braves. I think the Braves. Yeah, just, their lineup is kind of it's it's pretty good it's good and it's young it's yeah you know you no i yeah i agree yeah when you have albies freeman 
Swanson, Ozuna. They just added Duvall. They got Acuna. And Marcakis. Like, that's, that's a pretty good lineup. Well, and, I mean, you look back to last year in the playoffs. I think they honestly um, outplayed the Cardinals in that in the entirety of that series. There was just obviously that last game where they – you know, completely shit the bed in the one inning and the game was pretty much over from there. And that was the deciding game. But when you look at the series as a whole, like that really could have went either way. And, and I would almost argue that the Braves were playing a little better baseball, just not, not catching the breaks they needed to. So, you know, had they won that game, they, they might've been, you know, a better matchup down the road for in the, in the NLCS. And then, uh, you know, potentially going to the World Series. So, yeah, I think they're, you know, the sky's kind of the limit with them. They they can definitely get even a lot better than they were last year and coming in at the five spot. They're one of those teams that's going to have some range. Like, they, they could easily drop some spots if some of those young guys start to fall off or they could hop up to, like, a one or two spot if those guys do what most people project them to do, which is, you know, get better. So... Yeah, I, I, I like that pick. Um, let me pull this up one more time so I can... I'll tell you what, I do not like how low this is uh, This is sneaking my Indians down there in these power rankings. I'm, I, I'm not... Ha- yeah, but see, here's my... Everyone was hating on the, on the... Oh, see, I just pulled up ESPN's power rankings and they actually still... The, oh, they have the Astros at the three spot and the Twins at the four spot. Wow, that that just makes me more infuriated. But yeah, you throw the Indians down to the the fourteen, and I believe they were thirteenth in the other one. So I I get the you know Kluber's been good, but the last two years you look at him and he is he's kind of pulling what he's pulling a Chris Sale in the sense that he's really starting to sort of show some bad signs of declining like his fastball is is nowhere near what it was even you know three four years ago and even looking back like four years ago games that he gave up like the four the five the six runs he was still pretty much dominating the whole lineup it would be something like you know a single single home run and then he shuts the rest of the game out and stuff like that where so the last two seasons there's been a lot of games where he kind of got beat up so I don't think it was bad on their part to get him out of there now what they got in return I I think they could have done a little better but I'm not overall as an Indians fan I'm not overly upset with with how that went down where do they have the White Sox at White Sox, uh, bad news for you. This ESPN one's only showing a top 20, and they're not in that. Wow. Um, let me get back to that Bleach Report one. So Bleach Report has them at... Oh, Bleach Report's a little more showing some love for you. Uh, they had them at 17. Yeah. ESPN and Bleacher Report really that off from each other? The heck's going on here? Oh no, sorry, I completely just skipped over them. Both of them had them at uh, seventeen. That's not terrible. 
I mean, they were pretty. They were the worst. I was looking at it actually. They were the worst three seed. They had like the worst three seed record in the whole uh, MLB last year. So, and there was a lot of four seeds that had better records than they did. But, so take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think. I don't think it's their time yet. Because I think they definitely need to start developing. You know, you look at uh, what's his name. You look at Eloy Robert. You got Madrigal coming up. You know, you got a lot of young guys just with a lot of just don't have experience yet, and they've had a lot of success. Like Madrigal had 250 at bats in yeah. uh, Double A AA and Triple A, and he struck out five times or something like that. Like something stupid. My, my take on them is I think that they will go one of two routes. I think they either end up being a team that kind of sits around the 500 mark for a while and some of their players that do develop well get frustrated and get out, or I think they have the potential to to kind of do what the Astros did um, minus the whole cheating scandal thing yeah. where – you know, it does pan out that all of these super talented young guys, um, you know, 80% of them work out and they have just an unreal squad that they've really brought from the ground up. And then you just mix in one or two experience pieces that you get from either trades or free agency. And, you know, they, they could be freakishly good in the next couple of years. Yeah. As, as I mean, much that's... as it hurts me to say maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's what they're trying to do with Yasmani and keeping Abreu and, you know, getting Keuchel, mm-hmm. just trying to get those guys who have played for a while and, like, kind of, like, are guiding, like, Kopech and Cease, who haven't pitched that much, like, and kind of see what Keuchel's doing. And, like, Keuchel's not the best, but he's been on winning teams and he, like, knows how to win, which yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. So. And, I mean you would be able to touch on this from a hitter's perspective, like how much of a difference it's going to make for uh, those guys, like um, the the more experienced guys that are they're keeping around in that lineup, being able to hit better because they're surrounded by better guys. Yeah. So like, you know, if you're, if you got a good three, four and the rest of the lineup isn't doing anything, it's a lot easier to pitch to a three and four. I can speak to that because, <laughs> You know, if you only have to really worry about those two batters and you can almost kind of pitch around them because the rest of the lineup isn't too much of a threat, makes it a lot easier to get those guys out because you're you're just realistically not going to give them much. But, you know, as some of these younger guys start getting better, those more experienced guys, and I I wouldn't even call them so much, they are experienced, but they're they're still younger, right? Like, by no means are they, are they, do they have guys in the lineup that are on the verge of retirement? Um, And those guys are, I think going to get better with that as well. So yeah, they, I mean, they could be, could be a scary team in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead. Like Robert, like, I mean, you know, those guys talk to each other and everything like uh, Yasmani's been, he's been successful for whatever, five, six years, wherever he's played. He's been a really good hitter. Like, you know, having guys who can who have done good gives like Robert a chance to ask them what they've done and like what they've done to do good, 
and it like obviously makes them better. Like Moncada has been good. You can ask him what he does. Abreu's been a good first baseman hitter. Like literally the whole time he's been there, you can just keep asking him what he do, what they do, and they obviously just get better and better as the year goes on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so to I guess throw in before we cut this off, my sleeper pick. I talked about the Rays a little bit. They're not so much of a sleeper pick because yeah. they're they're already pretty solid, and I can see them making a run, um, and rightfully so. They're in the top five. I actually think, and this kind of supports both of our evidence of some of the experienced teams might have an advantage with this short season. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Phillies make a little bit of a run. So, yeah. you know, in the Phillies, you've got... A, um, MLB has them at 10th in the power rankings, and I believe Bleacher Report had them at 11. Um, but you know, you've got all the pieces there in Philly for the most part, you know, with a few mm-hmm. small holes here and there. And so, assuming that those guys, you know, know how to get themselves ready and have, have done this so many times that, uh, you know, that this shouldn't really be much of a problem to them. I can see them having a pretty good regular season and then, you know, getting into the postseason is really anyone's game. And you talk about some of these proposals, which include um, expanding the amount of teams that make the playoffs in the first place. Like it it would be easy for me to see them making a run um, because of how much experience they have on that team and, uh, just the different pieces that work well together, especially, you know, it, some people like to call baseball kind of the boring sport to watch. But when you talk about playoff time, it's a lot of those players that are known to step up and kind of make the exciting play like the Phillies are loaded with those guys. So, yeah. you know, who knows if they're in a situation where the intensity is a little higher, maybe they perform even better than what you know, maybe a team that has younger guys that might sort of cave under that setting for the first few years until they're used to it. So that the Phillies, I'm rocking with them as my sleeper pick for this year. You want to hear my sleeper pick? Who we got? I think the Cincinnati Reds are going to be interesting this Uh, year. See, I was eyeballing them. They're at the 13 spot in these power rankings, and I had to listen to – I had to listen to Evan Smith tell me how good they would be this year. So <laughs> elaborate. Because their one, two, three pitchers are Luis Castillo, who's been he's been pretty successful there. Mm-hmm. Bauer's been successful with the Indians, you know that. Sadly. <laughs> and you know, Sonny Gray is a pretty big name for a three pitcher. Right. He's been. I mean, he's either dialed in for a nine inning game with 12 strikeouts and three hits and no runs, or he's out in the second inning with an absolute 10 spot put on up, put up on him. So, you know, he's, he's pretty good. And you look at the lineup and you got Joey Votto, Mike Moustakis, and Henio Suarez. And you go down Castellanos, Freddie, like Freddie Galvis at short. Like that's, yeah, that's going to be actually a pretty good lineup. No, it is. And to your point on Sonny Gray, like he's still only 30 years old. So he's it's not like he's towards the tail end of his career. He's probably yeah. going to learn from a lot of those mistakes. And even if he doesn't and just 
I guess, pitches in those type of games, you you know, that's still, say you give him 50-50 odds of doing one or the other. Well, that means that every other game he pitches in, he gives you a chance of winning. And when you look at the role of the third starter in a rotation, I mean, that, it, you know, I would take that. Like, if I'm a coach and you're telling me that the, the number three pitcher in my rotation is going to go, you know, 12 and 10 or something like that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's an ideal three pitcher for me. And that's assuming that, like I said, he, he has that type of season that he's had and doesn't sort of make the adjustments um, from the bad games that he's learned from. Now, the only problem with that is the guy above him, Mr. Trevor Bauer has been known to do that from time to time as well. Um, Especially last season, he was, it was either lights out or, you know, he's throwing balls over the batter's eye. So <laughs> it could go either way with him. But no, they definitely, they have the potential to make, to make a good run. And they're kind of one of those teams that's a good mix of really talented young guys with some solid experience on the team as well, yeah. especially with adding Castellanos. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be an interesting season, and I definitely think that, uh, you know, this whole short season aspect adds a different layer to it that a lot of people might be underestimating. Like, the, the difference between 162 games and 60 games is just insane. Like, you, you that I that's why I like the idea of them ex- expanding the amount of teams that are going to be in the playoffs, because... Um, you know, teams get so hot and so cold, especially in a season that's that long. Like, there's so many stretches you can... And at the end of the year, it's, you know, who puts the most sort of hot stretches, you could say, together or can be the most consistent. And that's not the case at all with this season. Um, so, yeah. it'll be interesting. I guess you could also make the argument that since it's only... 60 games maybe all of the players are a little more dialed in each game but i mean if meh. you look at it though if you look at last year for instance like at the all-star break the nationals had like a 0.1% chance of even getting into the playoffs it's a great point that like, is a great point if they don't even have that this year like i guess it doesn't even give anyone really a chance for that to happen yeah and i mean i i think you could almost make the argument that even in this expanded playoff setting where say it's something where like the nationals still would have made the playoffs. Like it's really kind of who's hot at the right time. Um, and they got really hot at the end of the season and going into the playoffs where, so they weren't at the all-star break. So if you're telling me that the season, you know, if last year's season would have ended at the all-star break and they started playoffs, I don't think there's any chance you have the nationals winning the world series. Yeah. So okay. it it'll be fun to watch. We'll see. Well, well, Kyle, I appreciate your uh your time and giving us some insight on the MLB. It is a little, Yeah, it is a little weird that being a baseball player it took me 19 episodes to have a podcast about baseball, but <laughs> I'm honored to have the one and only to uh to break that streak. So, thank, thank you, you for coming on. We'll have to we'll have to get you back on when uh when the season starts up and and we start seeing how some of this plays out. So 
we can see if we were idiots in our predictions or not. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> all righty. Sounds good. Um, as always, it will be available on all the regular platforms, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Um, look for another episode coming either later this week or early next week. And Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Peace out, Peanut Gallery. See ya. <laughs>